Welcome to this podcast episode of Narcissists in Divorce, The Narcissist Trap. I'm Dr. Supriya McKenna. I'm a former family doctor, but my life's true work is working with people who have fallen prey to narcissistic relationships of any kind. But I'm particularly busy in the area of divorce. Over the last few years, I've been very proud to become an Amazon best-selling author on the subject of narcissism, and my brand new book, Narcissists in Divorce, From Love Locked to Leaving, is out right now on Amazon. That's the first book in the Narcissists in Divorce series, and the follow-on to that will be out in the spring, and that's called Narcissists in Divorce, From Leaving to Liberty. And please do note that although I use the word divorce, these books are equally applicable to anyone leaving a serious intimate relationship with a narcissist, whether they are married or not. I also have a book out called The Narcissist Trap, The Mind-Bending Pull of the Great Pretenders. And that book might be useful in helping the people around you who are supporting you to understand more about what happened to you and about narcissism generally. I'm also the co-author with British divorce lawyer Karen Walker of Narcissism and Family Law, a practitioner's guide. And between us, Karen and I have trained thousands of family law professionals in narcissistic personality disorder, including judges, lawyers, mediators and social workers. For further narcissism resources from me, please do visit thelifedoctor.org or drsapria.com. And that web address has the doctor fully spelt out. Hello and welcome to Stowe Talks, a podcast designed to support people going through relationship breakdown and all the challenges this brings. I'm Matthew Taylor. And I'm Lisa Gatchell, family lawyers at Stowe Family Law. And today we are joined by Dr. Sapria McKenna, a leading expert in the field of narcissistic relationships, for part two of this podcast looking at how to parent alongside a narcissist. If you have not already listened to part one of this episode, please go back and do so. You'll find it wherever you listen to your podcasts or can watch the video over on the Stow Talks YouTube channel. Otherwise, we rejoin our conversation with Sapria here. You spoke at the beginning about how often partners or ex-partners are the major supply for um, narcissistic supply. So from a practical level, if you're co-parenting with a narcissist, how do you turn that supply off? What can you do to make sure that they're not getting that from you? Firstly, you've got to be realistic about this. It's really important to understand. Yes, it's about it's about reducing supply, but it's a combination because I think lots of people think, oh, well, all you need to do is reduce their narcissistic supply and they'll go away and that's going to be the end of it. But actually, also, you've got to be boundaried with them. You know, you've got to tell them what, what you're, you are and aren't prepared to accept or you've got to show them possibly not tell them, show them. And you've got to look fearless as well, because remember, they're feeding off your fear. Um, and actually, eventually, it'd be quite nice to actually become fearless. That takes a while, uh, though. Um, and, and the other thing that you can do is become a bit more narcissistic yourself. So, for example, if you were attracted to a narcissist, it's quite likely that you, and I'm not victim blaming here. Some people see this as victim blaming. It's not. Um, you have certain traits, just as the narcissist has certain traits, you have certain traits that they saw in you and thought, ooh, you know, this would be a good victim for me, possibly not consciously. You, you're probably a giver, you're probably a rescuer, you probably have lots of empathy, um, you, you probably uh, believe that love conquers all. So you probably give and give and give while the narcissist takes and takes and takes. So it's really important to think, well, hang on, 
what would a narcissist do in this situation? And they do something outrageous. Um, and you've got to kind of slide up the scale of it and become a bit more narcissistic yourself. I'm not saying become a narcissist, but always consider in any situation where things are going wrong with a narcissist, what would the narcissist do? And then if you, you know, what could you, it just will help inform you and your behavior. If you can try to become a little bit more narcissistic yourself. But what I really want to talk about um, is how you're actually going to reduce that. You, you asked me about narcissistic supply. So let, let's deal with that first. So the first thing is to, to use a type of parenting called parallel parenting. And so what that means, and you can Google that, um, but basically what that means is that you're trying to get to as close as having no contact with them as possible, because that's the gold standard, no contact. So you want to try to, to get as close to that as you possibly can. So the way that you do that is basically you let the rules of each house apply. If they're not going to do homework with the child, um, there's nothing you can do about it, I'm afraid. You can't make them do homework. If they want to be vegetarian or not the other way around and you do, well, with the child, you have to let that be. Um, whatever activities they choose to do with the child, you know, you don't have a say in it. You try and keep everything absolutely separate. So and it's horrible because you feel like you're throwing the children into the lion's den. But you just have to accept that because it's about really splitting contact with them as much as you can so that the children aren't placed in the middle of the conflict. So it really does work. This this stuff does work. But you have to give up your control, um, which is really hard. But you have to give up any sense of you having any control with, when they're with a narcissistic parent. So it's so difficult to do that, though, isn't it? To accept that, you know, when you are sending your children to someone who you know is fundamentally dangerous and abusive and to to go well i can't do anything about that requires I, I, the, the level of sort of self-control and um uh i, I don't know almost implacability that that requires is, is slightly beyond me it's you know it's incredibly impressive to be able to get to that point i think it it's really really difficult but the children do get older i mean that's the thing the children do get older and if you're doing all the other things that i mentioned before you they do get to see what's really going on and they do get to start to learn you know what's right and what's wrong what kind of behaviors are right and what's wrong it's, it's things like you know there's always a th an issue with cycle helmets and i always hear this they're, they're always really unsafe narcissists it's when the child is going mummy or daddy can I take my cycle helmet to mummy or daddy's house because he or she never lets me wear one start I mean it's horrible for them why should they be taking these responsibilities on it perhaps an inappropriately early age but actually that's what tends to happen they tend to start to sort of look out for themselves really or look out for their siblings which again I say it's not it's not right but that is actually how it is but you have to try to just step back and yeah it is really really bad and nobody really understands that the courts don't um, understand as I say what narcissism is really uh, social workers don't get it TAFCAS officers don't get it so they just sort of and, they, and actually um, this concept of parallel parenting I was giving a talk last week um, and I've done this before um, I always try and take opportunities when I've got a load of lawyers in a room so if I've got a few hundred lawyers in a room I go how many of you have heard of parallel parenting and I do the same if I've got social workers in a room and um, so I had 220 people in the room last week and only five hands went up. So only five people have heard of the method that I'm telling you works with narcissists. So that sucks, really, doesn't it? I mean, it absolutely sucks that even the social workers don't get it because um, this is what I'm trying to tell you to do. But there's a long way to go in terms of knowledge and, and understanding. And I know I've learned a huge amount from listening to you and, and reading some of your stuff and 
over the past couple of years. Um, and, you know, the profession and sort of children's services have got a long way to go in recognising these behaviours. And the, the behaviours are often so subtle. Yeah. A lot of the behaviours that you've mentioned, we hear one or two of them all the time. You know, one or two in a case. But that doesn't make a narcissist, does it? That is so, you've just said something really majorly important because it's not, it's not one or two. When you're dealing with a real narcissist, it's all of the behaviours. You know, um, I sort of whip through sort of some of the stuff they do to emotionally abuse you, but there's all the legal abuse as well. There's mm-hmm. the, the financial abuse that they'll, they'll um, do as well. And they'll do all of these things. They won't pay for extracurricular activities for school. They won't contribute to, you know, the dentist or uh, school trips or um, learning disability assessments. Um, I had one, and this is, how's this for financial abuse? So the child who is six... Um, broke something in the narcissistic father's house um, and was so kind of worried about this that he told the narcissistic father that he'd pay because the narcissistic father was absolutely really furious about it. And um, and so, you know, this was an excuse to get in touch with the mother and say, the child has offered to pay for this thing that was broken. You'll have to take this much money out of the child's piggy bank and um, make sure that you, um, you you send this to me. And, of course, the money in the piggy bank was coming from her and from her family and had nothing to do with him. He was literally taking money from the child in that kind of really direct way by emotionally abusing the child. So it's, it's things like that that are subtle. If, you, if, if they've got the child and they're wearing your school uniform that you've bought, they'll throw it away. Oh, it was you know, it was frayed. It was there was a hole in the chute, which is just it could be brand new stuff. They'll throw it away. How dare you send the children to school in this when it's absolutely brand new? And they'll just chuck it away. They'll keep things like they keep toys. Or they'll. I remember um, a narcissist uh, borrowing the bikes uh, for the children and just never returning them. So again, the, then the other parent has to buy some more bikes because you don't want to have a massive conflict with them and yeah there's all sorts of things they'll do they'll lose things if they go on holiday with them and i've already mentioned the kind of the things like the the applications to schools private schools theater schools they're desperate to financially abuse the other party that way also they'll get the child to steal things from your house Uh, that laptop charger um is mine so um can you go and get it please and just put it in your bag and they'll literally get them to steal things from your house and then, of course, there's legal abuse as well. So, and as you know, to make your point here, this is they do a lot of these things. They don't just do one or two; they do a lot. So, obviously, with the legal abuse, they'll always be trying to get into mediation. I've already said that they'll do things like they'll try to relocate to a different part of the country and make applications, court applications that way. They'll make loads of court applications to try and change the child arrangements or the contact agreement. They'll try and stop people from seeing them. They'll try and stop you from going on holiday. They'll try and stop treatments or vaccinations, or they'll try and force things to happen with specific issue applications. They'll try and force them to go to schools. They'll try and force them to allow the other parent to get them to go on a holiday. They'll try and force them to get a diagnosis that isn't really necessary. They'll make ab- ab- child abduction applications if you've gone abroad. They'll claim that you didn't get their permission. And, and the court takes these things seriously. Um, so it, it's ridiculous. The court goes, oh, OK, well, you've made that application. So we ought to hear your side of the story, even though there's been loads of applications made. It's quite obvious that these are just vexatious. The court goes, no, no, we must listen to all of these. And the court has the power to say you can't make any more applications with this uh, without us kind of looking at them first and deciding whether we'll proceed with it. Um, but often, even when that's in place, they still go, oh, no, no, we need to take it seriously. So, yeah, a lot of these...
If you're wondering whether your partner really is a narcissist, please do check out my online course, Is My Partner a Narcissist? Knowing for Sure. And if you want to understand narcissistic behaviours, you may be interested in my Demystifying the Narcissist online course. Both are available on drsapria.com. Those orders are made very sparingly, very, very sparingly. And I think I'd like to think as judicial awareness of narcissism and practitioner awareness, you know, lawyers speaking to clients and when they hear, you know, I think my partner's a narcissist engaging with that and kind of forming your own assessment. And is it a case where it has to be a case, you know, that it's a narcissist case where everything is an issue. Literally everything is an issue. If you can agree some stuff and there's issues about some things, it's probably not. Uh, unless they have a very, very good lawyer who can really steer them, but um, it, but even then, it's it's you know you know that every single thing is going to be an issue, yeah. and I'd like to think as there's better practitioner, better judicial awareness. Hopefully, these Section ninety one orders are called, um, which prevent vexatious applications become more frequent. Um, I mean, obviously, we could kind of talk all day. I think there's so so much to do. Um, probably finish with some top tips in the way that we usually do, but something I'm really interested in. Let's go back to your piggy bank example, which is really awful. I mean, just really awful. And that poor kid. I mean, what do you do if your child's come back and had that piggy bank experience and you're the non-narcissist parent? How do you, how do you then, you know, deal with your child when that parent has reacted so badly towards the child? How do you pick them up again? It's really, really hard. It's really, really hard. The first thing to do is to definitely not enable the abuse because that's what you were probably doing when you were married to them, when you were in the same house as them. And so many people say, oh, no, your father loves you very much. Your mother loves you very much. No, they didn't mean it. And they were only late because of this. Or I'm sure they had a good reason. And you shouldn't ever say that because you're gaslighting your own child because narcissists can't love as I've already said not you know it's transactional or conditional so that's the first thing step one do not enable the narcissist behavior but the way to do it really because you don't want to be bad mouthing the narcissist but you want to know how their behavior made them feel that's the angle how did you feel about it how did you feel about that when you broke the whatever and you felt you should offer to pay for it how were you feeling at that time and if they trust you they'll say well I felt scared or I felt whatever to that's why I did it I felt I, I was I felt I was wrong or I, I felt I I felt bad I felt like a bad person and you can then validate their feelings and, and obviously say well and, and tell the truth make them look at it in another way we, but you're not bad it was just an accident or whatever but you're not bad mouthing the narcissist you're just taking their feelings and focusing on those and then validating their um, feelings and, and saying, you know, I'm really sorry you felt that way, but, but actually it wasn't your fault. And it's and you didn't need to feel that way and you didn't need to offer. And daddy can afford to pay for whatever it was. And you're just six and you don't need to pay for that at all. You don't need to, you know, all the things that you've been saving up in your piggy bank, you don't need to give that away. Um, don't worry kind of thing. And when the narcissist lies about you, if the children are older and the, the narcissist will lie about you all the time, there'll be loads of lies, um, you will probably have evidence to the contrary. So when they're 15, 16 or older, you can show them that evidence. I mean, I've had children at sort of 14, 15 go, look, narcissistic mother, I'm re- remembering who the um, child uh, mostly lived, lived with for most of the time, the vast majority of the time. 
and this particular child said, look, mum's saying you've said this, this and this. And he'd learned, he'd realised at this time that perhaps this wasn't actually true. He was beginning to realise that perhaps he couldn't rely upon everything she was saying. And he said, did you say that in an email? And so the father showed him the emails and it didn't take long. This kind of kept happening for a, for a little while, but he showed them because the child said, can I see the emails? Um, and, and it was right that he showed them um, because he was actually being, his emails were perfect. There were no, in fact, I was writing them to be honest. So there was no, um, <laughs> that's normally what happens when we're trying to sort of get rid of a narcissist. I tend to sort of um, quite often write the emails for, for the clients. So they, I'm not giving them supply basically. Um, and that, but that worked. That really showed um, showed that child. Hang on, dad didn't do any of those things um, at all. And that was really powerful for that child who did, in fact, walk out and move in with his father after a couple of years. So there's, there's things like that that you can do. But I do want to. I just do want to briefly go into the the idea of, of reducing their narcissistic supply and communicating with them because this is really, 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 really important. So I want to tell you, people out there listening. The aim is to never, ever see your narcissist in person ever again. And I really mean that. I, you, that's what you're going for. So never have a video call with them. Never have a phone call with them. They'll gauge your emotional reaction from your voice or from any a di, you know, dilated pupil, a, a slight raised eyebrow, just a bit of fear, just anything. They'll see that and that will give them supp supply. And then they'll draw you into a row because they'll work off your reactions, even if they're tiny. So if you do ever see them in person, you need to get out of there as soon as you can so that they can't actually pick up on your, your cues of your fear. And for the time that you're there, and we've mentioned the grey rock technique before, use the grey rock technique. I think it's, um, go back, I think it's the first podcast episode that we talk about that. Yep. The grey rock technique is brilliant. Honestly, honestly, it's brilliant. Um, so please do look that up. And, and also when we're talking about communicating with them, Instead of letting them bombard you with WhatsApps and texts and um, instant messaging things from all over the place and, and um, emails, you just need and phone calls, you know, one platform, just one platform, preferably email so that you're, you, you don't give them an instant response. So you're not tempted to just get into the row and block them from everything else. Or our family wizard, of course, um, the parenting app, if you haven't got a really, really high spectrum one is very good because you can do lots of other things on there as well. Basically, it stops you from having to communicate with them directly on things um, it, because you can just put st information up, almost like pinning it to a message board. You can just put it up there and they can see it and then they can't go, what's Felix's shoe size? Because I'm going to buy him trainers because you're a bad parent and you haven't got him any and whatever. You know, there'll always be a bit of that going on in, the, in any message. The information will be there. You can preempt it and put it up there and then you don't have to have any kind of back and forth communication with them. But as I say, um, only if they're not really, really, really clever and manipulative. But the other thing you've got to know about is dealing with their written communications. Um, and the first thing you've got to know is it is totally normal, 100% normal to be thrown into a stress response when you get a text or an email or something through the post from your narcissistic ex. Every single person is triggered into a massive stress response, into a panic. It's a physiological response. The amygdala is triggered in the brain because the brain thinks this is a threat to my life. That's what the brain has learned to think it is. So it really, you, you, the adrenaline and cortisol, all the stress hormones are released. And, and so it's totally normal. Don't think you're going mad. This happens to every single person. I'm like, I can't tell you. And it's, it's normal. So it's okay. It's horrible, but it's okay. You need a plan. You need a plan. 
for every communication you get from the narcissist so you don't freak out. The first thing you need to do is terminate that stress response, certainly before replying. So don't reply when you're stressed. Don't do it. And how you do that? Number one, really simple. Notice how you're feeling. So it's a physiological reaction. Have you got sweaty palms? Have you got palpitations? Have you got chest pain? Are you, are you breathing really fast? Are you feeling panic or dread? If you can start, sit back and go, okay, what am I feeling? And you'll notice that your thoughts are racing and all um, my heart's beating fast. List them off. Um, and that will just help to actually terminate the, the stress response. It really, really does work. And the other thing you can do is that's what's known as a sympathetic um, uh, system response. So there's a parasympathetic nervous system, um, which works in opposition to the sympathetic system. So you can actually engage your parasympathetic nervous system. And there's ways of doing that. And a really quick and effective way of doing that is by using a thing called a physiological sigh. So what that does is what you do is you take a deep breath in, then you take another breath in. So it's two breaths in a row. So you filled up your lungs and then you very, very, very slowly breathe out. And you do that a few times. Uh, five times, six times, and that actually stimulates the parasympathetic system and calms things down. It lowers your heart rate. It gets the blood flowing back to your brain. You'll notice in a panic response, the blood isn't going anywhere near your brain. You're like, you can't think straight because the blood's been diverted. It's been diverted to your muscles so you can fight or run away. Or That's what this this kind of response is. It's to, it's to save your life. It's because the, the brain thinks you're being attacked by a tiger. So physiological sigh, Box breathing, I don't know if anyone's heard of that, but I would definitely look into that, Google that, box breathing works. It's just a type of breathing that does the same thing. Um, it, it engages the parasympathetic system. Even touching your lips will engage the parasympathetic system, not as much as the, the sighing, the breathing things. Breathing into a paper bag um, helps because you increase the carbon dioxide and that will also terminate um, a panic, essentially. Um, so that's once you've done that, once you're in a, in, a, in a good state and you're OK, and it might take a few hours to calm down. My next best tip is to copy and paste their message into a five year old's handwriting font. I'm not kidding. This is brilliant. This is this is brilliant. And there's a great one called Tommy on the Internet. So look that one up. Um, and it, it's a free one. You can download that for free. So you copy and paste it, their, their ridiculous ranting accusatory message where they're threatening all sorts of things into a five-year-old handwriting font. And suddenly you think, hang on a minute, because this is what it is. This is a toddler throwing all their toys out of the pram, um, contradictory ranting rubbish and, you know, threatening you. And you'll see it for what it is. Oh, my God, this is a this is a child because emotionally it is a child. And so. That really helps because then you can see, oh, which bit do I actually need to deal with? And it's only really the, the, the kind of logistics for the children that you'll need to deal with. So there'll be all these kind of superfluous rants about and accusation. You're a bad person and I'm going to take you down and how dare you destroy the children. Like all of these things. Yeah, and you can just go, oh, that's all rubbish. That's all. Oh, right. Yes. Uh, pick up will be 3 p.m. on Wednesday. That's the bit that matters. And all the other stuff is just rubbish. And there's a brilliant acronym as well for that, which I'd like you to kind of just remember, which is JADE. So don't JADE. Don't justify in your response. Don't argue with them. Don't defend yourself. Don't explain. Even if you've got all your mates around you and your family, go, you can't let him or her get away with that. You've got to say something. They don't understand this because thankfully they probably haven't been in this situation. Um, thankfully for them. Don't listen to other people on this. Don't jade don't justify argue or defend yourself or explain in your um in your communication with the narcissist 
just deal with the logistical points. And, and actually, another tip is, if you can, just to calm the narcissist a bit, find something to agree with in what they've actually said. And so things like they'll go, our children deserve better. And you can go, I agree. We are agreed. If you use we, that's a better way. So we are agreed that the children deserve better. And I'll go, oh, okay, I was right. This person saying I'm right. Oh, I've won. I've won to a degree. So that's good for the narcissist. It might calm the rage down a bit. Use we, if you get that collaborative pronoun, if you can. And when you're responding, use the smallest number of words you can, absolutely the smallest, because any little thing will give them, if you go on a bit, they'll, they'll get a bit of supply from that. Don't send it until you've checked it, taken any heat or anger or fear or outrage or disappointment. Just don't send, don't send it until all of that's gone. So either wait a few hours or get a friend to, to check it over um, if you trust them to do that. And don't use any emotions at all in your um response and even things like so people go oh, I didn't use any emotions and I look at what they've written and go because they've written I am saddened that you have chosen to do this or I am disappointed that you ch- I am troubled and lawyers do this as well and it's just like no please no. I was gonna say that I, you know I, I'm disappointed that sounds like a lawyer letter it really is I'm troubled my client is troubled by my client is saddened by my client is disappointed by well, what's the narcissist on the other end going to do with that they're going to go yes because that was the point, you know, I'm going to do more of that then, thank you very much. So lawyers shouldn't be giving away their clients' um, emotions either, uh, absolutely not. And it's really important for them to understand that. Um, and, and of course, the other thing is, when a narcissist, so yeah, you've got all these awful messages from your narcissist, but then you're going to get a reasonable sounding one. And you think, oh, oh, they've seen the light, they've calmed down. Um, oh, they're normal again. Oh, good. And they'll lull you in with this kind of, thank you so much for picking up Felix. We'll use Felix again. Felix from the football match on Saturday. Um, he had a lovely time. Um, really grateful. And you think, oh, oh my God, that sounds normal. And that's just them trying to lull you in to an argument. So don't go, it was my pleasure and didn't he do well? Don't do that. Don't do that. Then it will start. Don't be drawn in. Oh, and another thing you could do is you could try and shame the narcissist. That's another commu- um, communication tactic. Last resort, try and publicly shame them. Well, how would your mother feel if she if, if she finds out about this? That kind of thing. But it doesn't work with all of them. But it's something to consider um, if, if you have to. But those are the kind of top tips, really, for communicating with them and how you actually um, respond. But remember that the point is you've got to pick your battles here. They want a reaction from you. All of this is about reaction. And they're going to be awful and that you're going to have to accept some really unfair behaviours from them. And with all your family going, no, you can't. Surely we must tell the lawyers or call the police or. And it's like, no, it's not going to work because you're going to be giving them supply. So only deal with the things that absolutely need to be dealt with. Because the narcissist wants, like, I think it was Dr. Ramani that, that described, um, I thought it was, she deals with, um, she, she's an American um, psychologist that talks about narcissism a lot. And that she did, she, she explained it as, as a tennis match, which I thought was brilliant. So basically the narcissist serves the serve and they want you to like return the ball. And then they want, they, they want a volley. They want a volley that's going to escalate into a massive argument. Um, that ball is the conversation that's just going to keep escalating. What you've got to do is when they serve, you've got to let them have their ace. You've got to put your racket down and you've got to walk off the court. Don't engage. Because if you're drawn into a battle, you've gone right back to square one. Right, It's right back to the beginning. Um, and it's not like, oh, I've been really good for like a year and now I've got, you know, it's fine. Because you will have gone right back to square one. So you've got to be absolutely vigilant. 
um, in the way that you communicate with a narcissist. Here, here I am saying pick your battles and, and let them get away with loads of things. But there are certain things that you can't let them get away with. You can't just ignore certain things and you've got to learn and you most likely you've probably had rubbish boundaries because again um this is something that um i hear a lot from my clients i will say you know well how are you what, how are you with with boundaries and they go oh i'm terrible they say no and then they just let the person walk all, all over them most people who've been in a narcissistic relationship are um really really bad at boundaries so you've got to learn to say no and you've got to stick to it narcissists will be pushing your boundaries all the time can we change the schedule can i do thursday instead of tuesday um you had mother's day so can i have uh, whatever they'll be changing it all the time you must be totally inflexible on your schedule totally inflexible do not ever change that because everybody needs to know exactly where they are even if it'd be more convenient for you to change be inflexible because if you give an inch they're going to take a mile and they're going to keep coming back to you you don't need to give reasons you can just say or you can say we already have plans for that day but so that's really important absolutely do not allow them to change the schedule no flexibility whatsoever which is not what you do in a normal parenting situation ever that of course you wouldn't but with a narcissist you have to and you have to be really careful as well that it is likely that they're going to take you back to court at some point about something so when you're communicating with them I said about picking your battles and only responding to what you need to. What you can do as you get more proficient with this is realise that you can actually build your evidence over the next couple of years or however long it is in case you end up in court. So you really do need to be thinking about a paper trail of their particularly bad behaviours. So, so I mentioned that example earlier about they're throwing away the school uniform, the children's school uniform. You can send them an email about that. Don't just go, oh, well, I'm going to have to put up with that. That's a really controlling thing to do. And that would make them look really bad in front of a judge. So you could pull them up on that in an email, not in an outraged way, but just point it out. They'll come back with some vitriol. And again, that will work against them in court. There's a, there's a, there's a brilliant uh, lawyer catchphrase that bounces around social media every so often, which is dance like nobody's watching, email like it's going to be read by a judge. Oh, always, 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 always remember that you do not want your communications, particularly if you lose it, to be read back to you in court. You are always writing for a judge, but you're also always writing. It becomes, a, when once the divorce is done and you're in that post-separation phase, you're now trying to basically trick the narcissist into, into getting when you can. So not all the time, but if you have to, if you think they're going to come back at you, you need to be just kind of, being bound by being bounded, saying, you know, this isn't acceptable and then getting the vitriol back from them and and, and building that paper trail because that's basically how we, we do things. And in a couple of years, you'll have a whole load of things. Um, and when they do take you to court saying they want 50-50 or whatever, they'll look like idiots and it won't happen. So that because you've built your evidence, but this, none of this is easy um, when you're being triggered into panic and, and freaking out, when, which is actually why it's really important to to learn to. I talked about having that fear response and, and pretending that you're not scared, but actually you need to you need to lower that fear response. You need to learn to raise the threshold at which your brain is triggered into that fear response. And I've mentioned this before, I mention it probably every time I do any type of podcast, but I really honestly, honestly can tell you that meditation and mindfulness actually does do that. 
um, and you can do courses. So MBCT, which is uh, mindfulness-based cognitive therapy, eight-week course, a couple of hours, once a week. They teach you how to meditate. They go through how your brain works. It's absolutely brilliant. MBSR, which is mindfulness-based stress reduction, is similarly good. I really, really do recommend doing that. Um, and they can, you can have them, they, they can be in person or online now. And that will you just, because it's, you cannot go on for whatever, 12 years, 15 years, being thrown into fear like that. You've got to get a handle on it. And I promise you that meditation and mindfulness works. And not only does it work, it works quickly. Like, it takes weeks to work. So really thoroughly recommend that very strongly. Brilliant. There's loads and loads. We've talked a lot about the bad behaviours that the narcissist is going to exhibit and you talk about the narcissist taking you back to court, which I've seen lots of examples of. Uh, perhaps we should talk a little bit about what the family court can do, does do, should do, doesn't do, um, and any tips that you've got about dealing with that. I think so many people think it's okay, the family court will be my salvation, but actually that's not going to happen because a, a judge can make a child arrangements order, for example, and a narcissist can breach it or ignore it. And there's nothing anyone can do about it. Say if they keep the child, your child, you're supposed to have them back on, even if it's Christmas day, you're supposed to collect them on Christmas day and they just won't let you take them. Um, so you think, well, I know I'll call the police because I've got a child arrangements order. The police won't get involved because it's child arrangements. So it's not a criminal issue. They won't get involved. So there's actually very little. If a narcissist decides they're going to breach a child arrangements order, there's very little you can actually do about it. Um, so it does call into question, well, what's the point of, of fighting for two years to get a child arrangements order if it's just going to be ignored by a narcissist? But I think it can buy you some time. They can they they will abide by the rules for some time usually a year two years and then they'll start to flout the rules so it, it can be worth it so that's something to be really aware of nobody's going to be put in prison uh, for breaching a child arrangements order because they're not going to put uh, parents in prison because it's not in the best interests of the child so that ne that basically never happens i think it's happened once yeah i mean if the theoretically can happen incredibly rare i mean the one thing that the court could do is not so much enforce the order, but vary it potentially. If you can show, and perhaps Lisa, and if you agree with me on this, if you can show that the behaviour is having a, an adverse impact on the child, then you can potentially then reduce the time that they are spending with the narcissistic parent. Um, but that leads into the cycle that we were talking about earlier, where there's repeat applications and you have series and there will be vexatious applications. And if you make that application to reduce the time, there will be a cross application to enforce it. And there will be allegations made by the narcissist that the non-narcissist is then exhibiting alienation. I mean, does this all sounding familiar to you, Lisa, from sort of your practice? Yeah, right? I'm just thinking like if, you know, if we have, a, you know, the Christmas example, if we have a breach of contact um, over Christmas, the handover doesn't take place. Uh, then, you know, Dr. Spree is completely right. That moment in time, there is absolutely nothing we can do. And I suppose the problem is that we, that we then do have enforcement applications that we can make. The court can enforce penalties like fines and unpaid work, etc. But often by the time you've got that application into court, you're then a number of months down the line, at which case you may be in a completely different situation. Um, and to some extent, you know, from listening to Dr. Spree today, you're effectively feeding the narcissistic supply because you're making another application and you're getting them into court again. Um, so it feels like a, it's a catch 22, isn't it? The whole lot. 
Yeah, it, you're returning the ball, aren't you? You're yeah. returning the ball. So it's it's that balance. It really is that balance. So having documentation that shows that they've done that will be useful possibly down the line, but you're not going to be able to march up to the gates or the front door with a policeman and get them back. And and certainly, as you say, with the delays in the court system, you know, it's not going to do anything in a timely fashion. So it, it's really important to understand that the courts is unlikely to be your salvation in, in the sense of them just breaching things and doing what they want and being late and all of that stuff. People talk about sort of out of court dispute resolution methods. And I've mentioned that mediation is a bit is a nightmare and doesn't work with narcissists. But there is a type of mediation that works or that can work. It doesn't always work. It can work. Um, and that's called hybrid mediation. Um, so if you are going to mediate, even if you're only mediating to tick the box, basically, go for hybrid mediation where you're in separate rooms. You've both got your lawyers with you and you've got a specially trained hybrid mediator who um, can hold confidences. That's the difference between a hybrid mediator, the essential difference between a hybrid mediator and a normal mediator. So you can tell them stuff. They can hold it in their head. They don't have to tell the other person. They can tell them stuff. They can hold it in their head and then they can negotiate an outcome knowing that they're holding stuff in their head. Um, you can give them your bottom line on stuff or you can tell them that the, the narcissist is a narcissist and they won't go, oh, she just said this or he just said that, which is what has to happen in normal mediation. It's kind of transparent. So normal mediation doesn't work, but hybrid mediation can work for certain issues. The other thing is if you do have a child arrangements order, do make sure it's really, really detailed. That's um, There's no point going to court and fighting for God knows how long to get a child arrangements order that's just woolly and doesn't actually nail down the details. So you want to know things like with, with the kind of schedule, how are the holidays split? What if there's, you know, if it's 50-50, what happens if there's an extra day? Who gets that and which holiday? Which part of the, of the holiday will each person have uh, with the children? What happens with birthday arrangements for the children? Who's holding the passports? This is the biggest bone of contention because it's you can really control a person by having the child's um, the children's passports and not giving them back. That's massive. So really, and if you've been away with the child or if the narcissist's been away with the child, oh, how many days have they got to return the passport to you? Uh, that kind of really nail it down. They might not adhere to it um, forever, but they might adhere to it for a year or two. And that gives you some breathing space to be able to heal yourself. And which is, of course, hugely important. You, you're constantly being triggered. You've probably got complex PTSD. You've got a lot of work to do on yourself. So that does that's likely to give you a breathing space. And the other thing to mention is a live with order. So live with if you're going for a child arrangements or try to get a live with order. Basically, the reason for that is because you don't then have to ask the narcissist. You can take the child out of the UK without having to get the narcissist's permission um, for up to 28 days a year which is incredibly freeing for, for people, basically. So that's definitely worth doing. It doesn't mean anything other than that. It, I, I don't know why it's called a live with order, really, because that's kind of what, it, what my understanding anyway is that that's what it means. No, you're right. There's no other real practical uh, impact of it other than not needing the consent to remove from the jurisdiction for yeah. a holiday, provided, provided you're not breaching the rest of the order. So you can't just say, well, I get 28 days whenever. It's, you know, if you've, you've got your week, you can go in that week without the consent. And that's something that you don't need to then go crawling. Because if you're dealing with narcissists, they will say, well, where are you going? What time is your flight? What's this? Where are you staying? I'm going to call every single day to make sure the kid's all right, morning and night. And do, 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 do. so just not having that gives you a, a bit more control back, doesn't it? Yeah, it's, it's really useful to try to get a live with order, I think. Um, and if you don't get a court order, try, try, try to get a, a detailed parenting plan instead that you both sign it's not legally binding but it might just with a sort of with a closet narcissist and one that's easily shamed 
it might work. It depends on the narcissist. It's worth a try um, to get it to try and get a detailed parenting plan if you're not, which is essentially what the child arrangements order is, but kind of like ratified by the court. It, it might work with a, with a sort of lower spectrum narcissist. And then this is really important. What I've noticed is that when people have been through this for years, it's when they represent themselves in court as a litigant in person. And they might have lawyers in the background under the radar, but they're not admitting to having. So lawyers that are off the record and they might use a direct access barrister to rep to actually represent them, do the cross examination, etc. But it's that thing of actually representing yourself. If you if you can get to that point where you can at least look like you aren't scared to do that and you can go to court and do that, that really takes away the narcissist power. That's often the time when they go, do you know what, this isn't working anymore, and they do actually bugger off, <laughs> that can be the turning point for people. It very, in fact, that's very often the turning point. Well, that, they will realise at that point that, the, you know, they're not spending money on lawyers because they're doing it themselves, and it's that financial abuse element of it falls away, doesn't it? Exactly. That's been totally taken away. When you're in a situation, it's that this too shall pass. Great quote, this too shall pass. It will pass because... When the children are 16, the power has gone, basically. If you've got a two-year-old, that's little consolation. I know that. But it will pass. And actually, it changes because as the children get older, they get more and more power themselves. They might have a phone so you don't have to contact. You know, the, the narcissist doesn't have the excuse to contact you. Um, they might be getting themselves to school on the bus or going to their parents' house, the other parents' house on the bus. Or they might be seeing friends after school and not wanting to go to see the narcissist at whatever, 5pm on the Wednesday or, or whatever's down in the order. And they'll be able to say, no, I'm going out with, with so-and-so. Those types of things, that all changes as they get older. So it, it does get better. I promise it gets better. Um, if you can use all these things that we've talked about today, you can, you can. I think, I'm confident that you can make things better. Um, but there's a lot to think about. But it is possible. Fabulous. Well, I mean, that's really incredibly helpful good point to end on and yeah yeah some really good tips i think to finish um so yeah thank you sabria that's absolutely amazing so that's it for this episode of stow talks thanks for listening if you are at immediate risk of domestic abuse please call the police or the national domestic abuse helpline on 0808 2000 247 Further resources from Dr. Spria, including Narcissists in Divorce, which is one of the world's top 5% most downloaded podcasts, Sapria's online courses on narcissism available on drsapria.com, and blog posts and more information about the work she does can be found on thelifedoctor.org. She also regularly posts insights on LinkedIn, Twitter and Instagram. Her new book, The Narcissist Trap, The Mind-Bending Pull of the Great Pretenders, is just out now. If you would like more information on our podcast, head over to stotalks.co.uk and please rate, like, share and review this podcast where you can. My brand new book, Narcissists in Divorce, From Love Locked to Leaving, is out now. For more information and online courses about narcissism, please do check out my websites thelifedoctor.org or drsapria.com.